Hi, this is Hope. This is Kareem. Hi, this is Katie from Washington, D.C., and you're listening to No Meat Athlete Radio. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of No Meat Athlete Radio. I'm Doug Hay, and this, and I am joined, as always, with Matt Frazier. Matt, good morning. <laughs> good morning, Doug. These, uh, <clears throat> these professional intros, I don't know, it's a weird, it's a weird vibe. Yeah, you're not liking the vibe? I was kind of liking it. I was... <laughs> I don't know. Just, uh, we could, we could be more it. casual. Yeah, it's a, I don't know. I mean, the whole show is kind of a train wreck, so it's just weird to sort of <laughs> yeah. act like it's a serious thing. Uh, serious well. journalism. Fair enough. Uh, yeah. Fair enough. Anyway, what's going on? I'm it's, traveling. Uh, I'm, well, I'm in Orlando. You're in Orlando. Okay. Uh, I've been doing some soccer stuff, I, I presume. Yep, been doing soccer stuff. Orlando is one of our frequent haunts these days. Uh, seems like we come down here every two months or so, uh, which is okay. Kind of, kind of. Do you have a hotel that you that you uh, do you have like your go to hotel now, or is it kind of whatever's the cheapest? It's it's mostly whatever is on the cheap side. Uh, we are usually looking for a kitchen so that we can, you know, not eat every mm-hmm. single meal out. Uh, and that's really it. You know, recently, though, I've been, I think I may have mentioned this before, uh, I've been really into the Disney, Disney Springs. You know what that is? No. It's, it's like a part of Disney World that is a bunch of restaurants, and there's, it's like, it's basically like a Disney World park, except the attractions are restaurants, and it's free to get in, and it's free to park, but there's, like, people playing music <laughs> out on the, you know, the quote-unquote streets, the, whatever they are, the, the paths. Uh, and you know, there's just different stuff. And there are stores and shopping and different things. Like that. So I, but it's I've it's been, official Disney or is it like yeah, it's called Disney Springs Disney. and it's okay. No, it's, it's a real deal. Uh, they don't really have Disney characters, but there are Disney stores and stuff like that. Huh. And uh, yeah, just I I don't know. For me, it's like it gives you what to me the the best part of Disney is just like the the fun vibe it has. Yeah. Uh, except you don't have to. You don't have to pay for it. You just—I mean—you can just walk around there. You can—they have, you know, bars out in the in the pat. Well, I, I don't want to call them streets because they're just—you just walk there. But they're, you know, all these different beer setups and different things. So, yeah, so it's just like a kind of a family-friendly party Disney atmosphere. Uh, so we've been going there a couple times per visit recently, and I just—I don't know—I like it. It's, I think it's my my favorite part of Disney. <laughs> the part that you don't have to pay for. I like it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> sounds, sounds great. Yeah. Uh, cool. Well, we're headed into the Labor Day weekend. I uh, I have some fun things planned for the weekend. How about you? I guess you're just traveling. Yeah, I'll be driving home one of the days, and then I don't know what else, but just looking forward to, to a day off and chilling out. I don't know. It'll be good. What are you doing? We're, eating eating we're, some vegan meat, I presume? Yeah, yeah. We're having kind of an end-of-summer celebration. So tomorrow night, Friday night, we are... Um, we're going to the final home tourist, Asheville tourist baseball game. Uh-huh. Very nice. Uh, which Always will be fun. Time. Uh-huh. And then Saturday night or Sunday night, it looks like it might rain Saturday night, but uh, the plan is Saturday night, we'll do a backyard camp out with a bunch of local cousins that are Liza's age. So I have a bunch of people over. We'll do some, some grilling and campfiring and sleeping in tents in the backyard. Cool. That does sound kind of nice. Sounds like yeah. a really nice way to, to uh, end the summer. And is that going to count towards your uh, your running total of t- hours spent outdoors? 
Oh yeah, I'm sure you're I'm sure an outdoor, you're... an hour outdoors, an hour outdoor. Oh, oh, with the sleeping part, that is still up for debate. <laughs> we have, uh, we have so far um, gone camping. I think twice this summer, uh, and one time we counted it, and one time we didn't. So, okay, but you're actually still continuing the the street. I mean, you're you're keeping track of this. Is that right? Oh yeah, every night, every okay. night there's an alarm was... that goes off, and we. Okay. Yeah. I was. What that. I was getting at there was I was going to make fun of you for dropping this habit, like like the time when you uh, committed to doing all these pull ups and then you didn't buy a pull up bar, <laughs> and just instead used the local playground. Uh, <laughs> no, no. So we I are, thought, we are I thought fully sure. committed to the to the thousand hours okay. outside. Uh, well, I think I mean, we're that, up to that, like eight hundred and some hours. So we're on. We're no, in good shape. Do it. Oh we yeah. Can, like, stay inside for the next couple of months. <laughs> we could. Yeah. That's what I would. Yeah. Do. After, after this weekend, we might officially be done. I don't know. So. Not really, but and then you can be done. Well, good for you. I was like, I mean, I think it's honestly, I mean, the vast majority of initiatives like that in our family, they, they just, you know, they fizzle out. We forget about them after a week, and not that we have the outdoors one, but like if we're gonna do something, like a word of the day every morning or something, we'll do it, and then and then it'll last ten days, and then it's then it's, we forget about it, mm-hmm. which I, just happens. Yeah. So you, speaking of pull-ups, I did pull-ups last night at 9.30 p.m. I was out for a little run and was <laughs> okay. almost by my house, stopped by the pull-up bar. Is the playground kind of empty at that hour, though? <laughs> yeah, the playground. It's, it's real sketchy at 9 o'clock on the playground. <laughs> uh, no. Because um, no, people the, like you there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now, this is uh, just um, the uh, this is, this is the actual pull-up situation, the actual pull-up bar. Right, the new installation. Yes. Yep. Got in. Uh, I got in off five pull-ups, but for, I have to take breaks is the problem. Gotcha. Okay. Well, that's that's something. I mean, was that the was that the goal? Was it this year's goal? Was that when it began, or was it last year? <laughs> no, I think it was last year's goal. Okay. So I've been working on this for uh, for twenty months or something. <laughs> but I'm getting there. All right. Good. Good for you. I've actually I haven't done pull-ups in quite a while. I need to get back into that. Actually, it was my last Orlando trip. Is when I like really stopped doing workouts and that was probably a month and a half ago uh mm. i just had when you when you climb the uh the rope oh no that was Virginia no beach. that was that was Virginia beach this is more recent than that uh i thought i did something memorable i forgot i hit golf balls i, was, I think i talked about that on here. <laughs> oh yeah i remember that yeah. <laughs> uh yeah but uh, you know it's just so hot like our our garage i made this nice home gym in there mm-hmm. not that not that involved has kettlebells in the pull-up bar uh but like from may until still it is just so hot in mm. i've said this so many times in charlotte uh that that garage is just i mean you can't you can't do a workout in there i mean you you can but it's it's really not pleasant and if you're trying to build a habit and remove you know friction it's just it, it's a ton of friction uh mm. so i don't know i need to, i need to like start doing kettlebells inside the guest room or something where it's nice and cool i think i think that would really help me but uh but yeah yeah i'm, I'm struggling because of that well the temperatures are cooling down I guess there's a heat wave going on in the north, but uh, in the northeast. But but down here, it feels like it's cooling down. So when you when you return home, hopefully you'll have a little bit of a nicer situation. Good. All right. That'll be nice. Yeah. All right. Well. Uh, oh, quick announcement before we get to our interview today. Uh, yes. We've continued to do our our morning show, our plant based morning show, which has no official name yet, but I kind of like that one. Um, yeah. We. We keep doing it. It seems like we've sort of hit our stride. We've we've done it every day in a row now for I don't know a couple of weeks. I had a little break during my golf trip, but uh, yeah, we've been pretty consistent, which is great. And I think we're gonna nail down the time at eleven o'clock Eastern time 
every morning from now yes. on indefinitely now until wherever whenever uh so weekdays 11 a.m eastern we've been doing it at that time this week we'll continue to but next week i think will be the official start of that uh and we'll probably keep telling you about it so uh, anyway show up there and uh and come say hi interact you you know like we try to make it interactive so people can type stuff and we we respond to it maybe we'll start bringing people up onto the video feed perhaps we'll see how that goes uh but anyway i think those who listen to the podcast who have come to that i think enjoy it for for that exact reason that it's a little bit different different format a little more personal and uh, you get to get to hang out with us yes it is a lot of fun to hang out with us (laughs) every morning what could be better than that yeah yeah, Yeah. um Um, yeah so that's that anything else there doug or should we set up our interview i think i think that's it who do we who are we talking to today who's matt talking to today today it is fiona oaks uh who she was in the plant-based athlete uh she's an accomplished marathoner slash ultra i think ultra runner um she runs i mean she she has an ultra marathon now the running for good ultra uh but she i first came across her with running for good which is the documentary i think a lot of people have seen it Uh, i watched it when it was on youtube now i think it's on amazon prime Uh, i'm honestly not sure but uh it's Keegan Kuhn did it, who I think he did Cowspiracy. Um, mm-hmm. And it's it's about her 2017, wait, how did I say it? Marathon de Sabla? Doug, is that the, that the ultra running pronunciation? Uh, I think so. Des, Sounds right. Des Sables is how it is spelled. But I don't know. Um, yeah, anyway, she has an interesting story. She has she lost a kneecap uh, due to a tumor at age 17. Uh, but she's got, nonetheless, a whole bunch. She's been vegan since age 6, uh, runs an animal sanctuary, and just does all these marathons and like interesting i don't know what you would call them uh challenges accomplishments uh i th- believe just to raise awareness for that you can do this as a plant-based athlete so that's or a vegan athlete i believe she would prefer probably to say that term um but you know she's done all these like first person to or fastest person to do a marathon on each continent uh and the north pole uh the fastest female to run a half marathon in an animal costume dressed as a cow uh, that's that's her fourth Guinness World Record, uh, but I mean that that one's kind of a joke. But I think but she's got a lot a lot of serious ones as well. By the way, that that half marathon she ran as a, just as a cow, uh, she did it in an hour and thirty two minutes, and that was in twenty eighteen. Uh, I'm trying to figure out how old she is, but uh, so that's that's in, she's in the fifty to fifty nine group at that age. So solid marathon considering just as a cow or half marathon, considering yeah. she was wearing a cow costume. I don't know how <laughs> how involved the cow costume was. Uh, but nonetheless, good accomplishment. Uh, so yeah, very interesting woman, and uh, I think I think the interview uh, will be good. Yeah, look forward to it. All right, with that, let's just let's just roll right into the interview. Roll the tape. Fiona Oaks, thank you so much for joining us on No Meat Athlete Radio. I am truly grateful for for you spending a little bit of your time with us this afternoon. And um, I'll just dive right in and, and share just a, a few highlights of a very long career that you've had as a as an endurance athlete, as a distance runner, and then we'll kick off and, and get to know each other a little better, if that sounds all right. Yeah, that's great. Well, first of all, you're the fastest female to run a marathon on each of the continents and the North Pole, because, you know, if it wasn't enough to run on each of the continents, you had to then go run at the North Pole, which in itself is fascinating to me. And I I wonder what those conditions were like. Um, But the list goes on because you've competed over 
a hundred marathons and finish in the top 20 in the world's major marathons. And I believe that was Berlin and London. Um, there is a very long list of accolades here. Um, so I'm going to skip around because otherwise we'll, we'll fill our entire conversation time just with me uh, reading off your accomplishments. But um, you're the first uh, vegan woman to compete in the grueling uh, Marathon de Sables or Sables. I'm not sure. Um, and, and you've actually completed uh, twice more since doing that in mm-hmm. 2012. Um, you've won the North Pole Marathon in 2013. Um, you have four Guinness World Records um, in endurance events. Um, this really does keep going because you you also lost a kneecap as a teenager. Um, and, and so you've got those setbacks as a, uh, or that setback as a, as a context to accomplishing all of this, um, you're the subject of a uh, documentary. And to make all of this that much more exciting, um, you've been a vegan for, for most of your life. So um, it's, it's really an honor to talk to you. And I'm excited to learn a little bit more about your journey to this conversation. Thank you. So lovely to be here. Lovely to have the opportunity of sharing it with you. So I'd love to just uh, start at the beginning. Um, and maybe hear in your own words, kind of what the, where did it start? Did you, did you always run? Did you play soccer as a, as a very little kid and just kind of gravitated to that? What, what, what led you in this direction to running more marathons and, uh, you know, than phone calls I take in a year? (laughs) Uh, Yeah. I mean, to be honest with you, it's all kind of organically grown with me and it's all born out of a desire to help animals. So I didn't come up with some grand plan to do any of what I've done. Simple. I went vegetarian when I was three years old. I went vegan when I was six years old, understanding the concept of veganism and the principles but not the actual word I didn't know the word I just explained to my mom that I don't want to be part and party to something that I don't agree with which actually disgusts me which is animal cruelty and exploitation Um, I was always very sporty as um, a young child always outdoors what you know you used to call like the tomboy type you know always climbing trees always getting into trouble Uh, just loved you know any any sport I'd turn my hand to at school Um, but then in my teenage years I developed um, an orthopedic condition with my knees which led to me having um, my kneecap removed on the right side after multiple surgeries on both knees Um, and I was told at the time you will not be able to walk properly again, let alone run, uh, which was quite devastating. I will say at that time, um, um, veganism was um, aligned to an eating disorder. And my mom, for allowing me to be vegan, um, was accused on multiple occasions of child abuse. So it wasn't wasn't um, an easy time for us. Um, But battling on, um, it was always a dream. I never thought it'd be a reality to actually take that next step to helping animals, which was not just, you know, through my diet, you know, kind of piece on my plate. It was actually to um, nurture them and have an animal sanctuary. Um, That came later. Um, I 
with regard to sport, um, I couldn't do impact sport for a very, very long time. I um, had to take to cycling, you know, push bikes, um, because my knee just simply would not allow me to take the impact of anything, um, you know, running based. Um, and that's why people find it pretty strange that I um, decided to start marathon running back in the um, early noughties, almost two decades ago. And what led me to marathon running as is what leads me to pretty much everything I do in my life which is uh, trying to advocate for animals through whatever I happen to be doing so uh, when I joined the fire brigade um, it wasn't a conscious decision I've always wanted to be a firefighter I was invited to consider being in the fire service because we run a retained um station near where I live and it's run on a voluntary basis um, but it was you know okay I, I do like to do this sort of thing I'm much more physically based and mental based and um, how can I use this to advocate for animals because it is going to take up quite a large portion of my time that's a little bit of an aside um, so um, I started the sanctuary back in 1996 and after a while it was always my dream I never thought it'd become a reality it was a very very hard path to take um, to make that big leap to actually um, you know have an establishment where I could actually dedicate myself to caring for animals but I, what I realized very quickly physically caring for animals um, was that no matter how many I took in through the gates of the sanctuary, whether it be four, 40, 400, I wasn't addressing the cause. I was being kind of reactive rather than proactive. Um, so I was desperately trying to find a way of reaching out to people and saying, hey guys, if you consider the option of plant-based living, looking at veganism in all its gl full glory you know um i i've been vegan at that point for, for many years i'm healthy i'm strong and i'm fit because whenever veganism was addressed in the press or the media it was always in a negative context and that was rare because you never people weren't familiar with the word and it's quite hard for people to imagine now where you know uh, in the last five years it's really really burst onto the scene um yeah, I mean, people didn't really know what a vegetarian was. Um, so I kind of wanted to build, have a platform to speak out for the animals and encourage people to at least consider plant-based options. Um, I, I, it was before social media. Um, uh, so you had to kind of utilize uh, the reach of the mainstream media, which involved pretty much doing something very, very good, something very, very bad or something very, very outrageous. Um, so I kind of thought, well, what can I do? Um, sport, yeah, pretty good at sport, pretty strong. I'm adaptable to most sports. Uh, I wouldn't say I'm flamboyantly good at any particular one. Um, but the one thing that was getting attention in the UK at that time, especially women's sport, was marathon running because Paula Radcliffe was doing really, really well in the event. And attached to this event was all the kind of hashtags I was kind to, trying to kind of get through to people. It's really tough, both mentally and physically. It's brutal. The endurance you need, the discipline, uh, the strength, the sustain sustainability you need, it was all there. Um, so I thought, well, if I could just compete in and complete a marathon, it's categoric proof that you can do anything as a long-term plant-based athlete. And that's how my journey to marathon running came about. I didn't really know that I could run. I mean, I, I, I knew I could, 
you know, shuffle about quite quickly and I knew I was strong and I knew I was fit. But I thought, well, I wonder if I could. I didn't look to going out and winning marathons and placing in world major marathons. It was just a desire to compete in one and hopefully complete one and say, there you are. I did this uh, because at the time nobody was doing anything like that, especially in a sporting forum. I didn't know anyone out there that were, could actually categorically prove this myth that vegans are weak and that they um, look pretty much always like they've just been dug up and they spend their time hovering from the, the sofa to the fridge and nibbling on lettuce leaves. It really was that portrayed image of veganism at the time, uh, veganism at the time. So I just wanted to address that. And, you know, I, I didn't plan to start Vegan Runners back in 2004. You know, it wasn't so it's just organically. Um, and my, my veganism has always been creative, just grabbing opportunities when they present and trying to manipulate them for the benefit of the animals. So um, after a, a while and, you know, competing and, you know, completing a marathon or two, I realized very quickly with another runner that in the running club I was in at that time, which was Vegetarian and Cycling Athletics Club, because it was the only running club I could join that had any kind of relevance to the reason I was out there at all with you know vegetarianism that um, we decided Peter Simpson and myself that you know you're going to be on the start line standing next to Paula Radcliffe in the London Marathon you know you, you've qualified for the elite start you're going to be going off 45 minutes ahead of the main, main field and the men wouldn't it be cool to not have vegetarian written on your vest but have vegan written out there because you're going to get a lot of attention. And what people don't understand is that for a lot of the big starts, the front starts in races, because they're so the sponsors are so competitive and protective over their investment in that race, you're only allowed to run in affiliated running club clothing or neutral vests. So you, you weren't allowed to run in just a T-shirt where you'd had, you know, written on it, you know, I'm a vegan or anything like that. It was prohibited. And even then, um, even the lettering is all measured that you're not getting any little bit of extra promotion. Even the even the logos on your socks were measured with measured with them. Um, you know, uh, perspex. So they check the lettering wasn't too big. So you, you have to affiliate a running club through the correct channels to be able to to get out there and promote this word basically vegan in the hope that subliminally people would associate plant-based diet a vegan diet with being the best with being out there and, and able to stand shoulder to shoulder with the best athletes because I couldn't simply go around and tell everyone hey I'm Fiona and I'm vegan hey I'm Fiona and I'm vegan nobody was really interested but just I just wanted the word the concept to be out there to as wider audience as I could and that's why we started Vegan Runners back in 2004. But honestly, um, I've, I've had a really kind of strange uh, running career. It's been kind of strange when I'm doing it. I've had to adapt it to suit myself and my lifestyle. But looking back, back it hasn't been detrimental, I think, to my running. So for, for people who do run out there, I only ever used to target two big marathons a year. I was not interested in kind of, local 10ks and half marathons I did do some you know initially and with great success but I realized people are asking me about you know okay you're in the fire brigade locally you've got the animal sanctuary but people were skirting around the vegan issue so I, I thought you know 
you want to be able to deliver a punchline when you're talking about veganism. So you want to be able, you don't want to say, oh, I, 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 I won the Bradwell on C 10K. You want to be able to grab a big race, say, I came top 20 in London. That's got the impact I wanted to achieve. Also, um, on the road marathons, I was invited to races by uh, the, the managers of the races or, or the race directors. So, uh, you know, Mark Mild would invite me to Berlin or, or Jos Hermans to Amsterdam. Um, so it was free. I get a free place. I get free expenses. And also, I wouldn't need to be away from the sanctuary very long. I could literally hop on a plane or, or, or a train or whatever on the Friday night, run the race on the Sunday morning and be back home very often on the Sunday afternoon, evening or Monday morning, um, which meant that, you know, I, I wasn't distracted from caring for the animals and it was and, and my funds, which I desperately need for the animals, weren't being displaced by going to races. Um, so um, actually, it's really weird. I've had conversations um, at the time. It was pretty strange because people were saying, well, you could go to a race every Sunday and win it. I don't want to. I want to. I want to build on my training block. I want to concentrate on that. I don't want the expense in time and money of just going to little races around the countryside. I don't want to do that. I want to gradually, slowly and progressively and sustainability, build, 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 taper, go and deliver. And, you know, I, I spoke to Elliot Kipchoge a couple of three years ago and I was telling him and we were talking, you know, and um, he actually revealed then that he doesn't like, is is heavily trained and lightly raced. And I don't think that it's a bad thing. I'm not comparing myself to him, by the way, in any way, shape or form. But when you actually look at runners on the international circuit now that have come out of lockdown where they haven't been able to race, I'm thinking of Eilish McColgan in, in this country, the, the period that they've actually taken focus in just on training rather than constant traveling and racing, there's some flamboyant times been run and records been broken. So I think it's probably not a bad thing to do because I think runners can get a little bit sucked into over racing. And for me, because if I'm in a race, whether it be a 10K or a half or whatever, I want to deliver my best result because I'm there for a purpose and it's not necessarily just to do well or get a trophy. It's to be the best I can advocating for the animals um you've got a taper you've got to even taper for a 5k and, and recover after it if you're going to deliver your optimum performance on the day so i figured that i'd be better off just training and um staying at home keeping myself out of trouble keeping myself injury free and working towards these two goals um in the fall and in the spring and it ha it, it would be hard for some people to motivate themselves to do that i do accept that because i've no coach no physio. I don't run in a running group. I do all my training alone. Um, but I've always had that added motivation that is above and beyond just times and, you know, Garmin or Stro Strava goals. I've really wanted to be out there and be my best for the animals. And that's been the greatest inspiration that keeps getting me, you know, out there, you know, when you're training for a road marathon, you know, you're training twice a day. Um, it's, qu it's quite difficult six days a week, you know. In fact, sometimes I've not even, I've, I've only known what day it is by what training I'm going to do on that day. I've, oh, no, it's right. a long midweek run, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. Well, 
That is a remarkable story. And there's so much for us to dig into that. I really, I have to take us back to the beginning um, because it's an exceptional start to, to go vegetarian and then vegan at three and six years old. So I'm just curious because I find that to be fascinating. I, I have three children. They, they are growing up on a plant-based diet and they uh, have absolutely no idea. One is three years old and he doesn't know he's a vegan. <laughs> this is just always what we've eaten. And actually we're running into a very interesting um, and very challenging moment where, you know, we refer to things like sausage, right? Or eggs. And so he eats eggs. Um, and in his mind, right, he refers to them as eggs. He's now talking. So he talks to people about eating eggs, right? And it's like, well, no, your eggs are made out of algae, right? They yeah. come in a bottle from just eggs, um, you know, and and your sausage comes from beyond meat, right? And, and uh, you know, your whatever is, is actually made out of uh, chickpeas or, or tofu or whatever. And um, so we're just starting to kind of to, to get into those conceptual conversations about being a vegan and taking, I just took him to the uh, a farm sanctuary here in Colorado for the first time. And um, that was really fun because it was his first, you know, we, we live in the mountains, so he is exposed to animals much more so than probably many, many kids in, in this country for sure, um, because he sees deers and bears and birds and um, groundhogs and all sorts of uh, animals in our, in our, around our home. Um, but, but it was the first time that he's really interacted and played with and, and gotten up close with a, you know, a 400 pound pig or a mm -hmm. 2000 pound cow. So it's really, really interesting. Back to you though. <laughs> um, three is very young and that's my point. He's three and I can't imagine. Uh, and it sounds like you were really, you were driving that conversation. You were sort of in the decision-making seat uh, at, at three or at six um, when you were deciding that. Where, where did that come from? What was that exposure? What were your parents thinking at, at that time? I just would love to explore that for a moment. Well, my mom, I, I'm very, very close to my mom. My mom and dad still live with me. Sadly, my dad's very, very ill at the moment, terminally ill, but my mom is um, oh, always so my role. Yeah, it's, it's just, you know, age, it comes to us all if you're lucky enough to get there. But um, my mum was always my rock. And, you know, obviously your mum knows you pretty well. And she, she, she said you were incredibly headstrong from just the minute you were born. You were just like, um, I was an enormous baby, apparently, at the time. For, I was the biggest baby on the wall. You know, I was really, really heavy, about 10 pounds. <laughs> and um, she said you're very, very strong and very strong-willed. And she could see something different, completely different in me from my sister, who was older than me. Um, you know, just, just little things like, you know, um, I suppose she detected that I, I never played with, like, conventional toys. It was always, like, a, I had, a, a, like, a cuddly cow, and I wouldn't leave this cuddly cow alone uh, when I was a kid. I, I didn't want to play with dolls or anything like that. And it was just a complete rejection of this on my plate. I would not have it. She said it probably was younger than that. I just would not accept the concept of meat. It disgusted me. 
Um, and I remember she said, you used to cry and scream if it came anywhere near. We never actually had milk in the house because funnily enough, mum had a similar experience. She couldn't, as a child, stand the concept of drinking milk. And when my mum was at school, it was just after the war and the school provided milk um, uh, for children and mum would not have it. And my grandma was um, invited to come up to school to explain my mum's outrageous behaviour. And mum was also a very, very small child. She, my grand was accused of, funnily enough, um, malnutrition. Mum was that, that slight. She wasn't. She was just a very, very small, petite lady. Um, but, um, yeah, I, I don't remember. I just remember refusing, totally refusing. And my mum said that you, you're the kind of person that just does not budge and you've not changed uh, at three years old. And then as time went on, um, I just began to ask my mum questions about other, you know, concepts of other products which came from animals and why we felt that we could take them and, and what was involved in the process of taking them. Because obviously I knew that meat was flesh. I always know that meat came from an animal that was their flesh. Um, but it was the other products, you know, such as things like eggs. And mum um, was very, very fortunate in that even though veganism was unheard of at this time, absolutely unheard of practically mom um had been um mom is quite quite a good pianist um she was a piano teacher and she had kept in touch with her piano teacher at school who was bizarrely a vegan lady back in the 1950s and she was able to articulate to mom in adult terms what i was thinking and feeling and sensing as a child and she was kind of a role model and a mentor for my mum at the time. If she hadn't have had that backing, that safety net, I don't honestly know, and she doesn't know to this day, whether she would have been as bold as she was in absolutely standing by my decision, because obviously she had a role model. She knew a healthy vegan person, and at the time there weren't those about. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I, if I set myself a goal, a target, I look to go and achieve in it. I, I don't think of boundaries that are going to stop me. I don't think of reasons that are going to prevent me. I just think of reasons why I'm, I'm going to achieve what I want to achieve. Um, so I'm just very, very headstrong and very, very driven. I actually would like to, to share with people that I don't really have, um, honestly, a talent for running um the talent comes if you if i've got any talent whatsoever in my mental ability to just keep driving and the determination behind what i do um, and to not let roles and um goals be defined for me i'm going to set them myself and i'm going to get there obviously they've got to be within reason i'm not going to run a sub two marathon no matter how much i tell myself i could you know i i've got you know reasonable goals that i can achieve and just yeah. you know single-mindedly going for them and where, where do you think that comes from in in your upbringing was was grit and tenacity you know part of childhood um, upbringing well, I, can, I can tell you now that my parents weren't even vegetarian or vegan at the time um there was a um a little bit of a love of horses from my dad's side but it's actually my grandpa my grandpa 
on my mum's side. We are, I, I, I was very close to my granddad and um, we were like uh, two peas in a pod and he had that absolute um, stoic kind of, um, not going to fail ever um, kind of character that obviously has been passed down to me. And as I go on in life, I reconcile my own um, mental determination to his. And obviously, you know, when I went, wanted to do, granddad had a very hard life. Um, he um, left school, obviously, at 13. This is back in like 1920 or something. And he had to go and work down a pit, which he did not want to do. And um, it was very, very long days, five days a week. But on Saturday, um, he got Saturday and Sunday off. He bought himself a bike and he went round and he did deliveries uh, for local greengrocers. And because he was so reliable and so likable um, um, with customers, they took him on full time and he achieved his ambition of getting out of the pit. He didn't want to work down a mine. And... Um, it was very, you know, I mean, obviously back in the 1940s, 50s, 60s, times were very different. And to afford to have extra things, you had to work extra hard. And he used to do um, shifts in a packing factory from six o'clock in the morning till two o'clock in the afternoon. He would come home. Um, my grandma, who was a cleaner, left um, his, his dinner between two plates. He'd have it. He'd have 10 minutes rest. And then he went out on the afternoon for four hours window cleaning to afford the extra things like my mum's piano. She had a baby grand piano. He wanted to buy her that. So it, he was very, very much tough. And I said, when I wanted to go to the Marathon Sable for the first time, my mum was very, very worried. And I actually said to her, look, granddad, he ran many Marathon de Sables in his life, euphemistic Marathon de Sables. He just never got a medal. I'm just going to be able to go out to the desert and run that race and get a medal because his life was probably just as tough as that in other ways but he didn't get that kind of accolade and glory for doing it so it definitely comes from him wow that's beautiful and yeah it is you know i think um the the more i get older the more i appreciate history and learning about <clears throat> you know and, and trying as best as you can um because it it is very, very hard <laughs> to put yourself in the shoes of, of the folks who come before us. And, you know, maybe that's parents. And we certainly, I don't think, uh, appreciate those parents uh, or, or what they go through enough. Um, or maybe that's grandparents or, or maybe that's someone, you know, in the 1800s and you learn about, you know, kind of the difficulties of just daily living and the survival and heartache because of, you know, lack of modern medicine, for instance, or, you know, famines. And I mean, we just, we really do take for granted how blessed we all are. And, and, you know, the, what seem to be the difficulties that we deal with on a daily basis, you, you start to talk about your granddad, you know, working in a mine and working two jobs to, uh, you know, and having, 10 minutes to to eat yeah, <laughs> in I between mean, yeah. i mean it's really you know it's it's quite something so yeah i mean um, 
my mum remembers that there was always a coin in the cupboard called a shilling. Like it's it's a very be a nominal denomination now, but it was a lot of money at the time, and that was in case my mum, as a little child, ever needed a doctor because the doctors had to be paid for. He always had that with him uh, that he could pay for a doctor for my mum. Um, so yeah, we do take things for granted, and that's what particularly inspired me about running these ultra stage races. It's a great leveler. Um, in terms of you really come back and it's a big kick up the you know what you realize that actually there's no hardships I don't face any hardships compared to not just what past generations what many present generations are facing out there many people around the world are really struggling and really suffering for things that we take for granted such as water food medicine you know, um, fear, famine, all those things that we, 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 we just don't have to worry about. And um, it's very, very humbling. And I think also, uh, you know, knowing my granddad like I did, it, it's all a, a very great way of reconciling myself. And because I would probably think I was a pretty freaky person <laughs> compared to everyone else <laughs> if I didn't, didn't think. But no, I, my granddad was very much, I know where this comes from in my family. This is, you know, I can, I can identify myself more easily by knowing my own history yeah isn't it uh, the truth um i, I want to transition because you you spoke so passionately about your um love for animals and your your passion for protecting them um obviously that's why you created your your farm sanctuary um and uh tower hill stables right um yeah. and uh I'm curious because I, I read that you have something like 500 animals. Um, yep. that, that is not an insignificant number of lives to, to take care of. Um, as I mentioned, I was just at, uh, um, at a farm sanctuary now and just counting all the chickens and ducks and sheep and goats in my head. I, I can't imagine it's more than a hundred and and that's a big operation. Uh, tell me, uh, yeah, what, what, what is that like? And, and obviously you're, you're no, um, uh, you're no novice when it comes to difficult things. Um, that's one of the benefits of those ultra marathons, right? Yeah. Um, but, but I'm just curious if you can share a little bit of your experience and, and, you know, you started that in 1996. So, yeah. you know, that's, you, you've been doing this for now uh, a quarter of a century. Um, what what have you learned? What are your thoughts? And and how do we kind of expand that to to create more opportunities for people to interact with these animals and and educate and everything else that comes with uh, creating these sanctuaries? Yeah, I mean it's quite difficult. I mean, I obviously my sanctuary's grown organic. When I started the sanctuary, I will say I didn't start it as a sanctuary. I st I, I wanted a place of sanctuary for the animals that I'd already rescued. I'd already got a very kind of menagerie of animals. Um, I'd got, you know, the smaller ones like cats and dogs and a few chickens, chinchillas, hamsters or whatever at my domestic residence, my own home, you know, like just a normal house on a road, you know. And uh, I uh, had eight horses at a local farm because I didn't have my own land. I had to entrust the horses' lives with a farmer. And um, I uh, then I would go to work all hours, you know, every day and overtime as well to pay for it. So I used to cycle to work as about. 25 miles each way call in at the farm check the animals do what they needed check the horses and then carry on into work 
and um, I came home one day and I called the horses. Seven of them came, one didn't. That was Oscar. Um, I found that he'd, he'd been impaled on a fence. The guy who owned the farm had allowed people to go in and shoot rabbits in the field that my horses were in. Um, Oscar had got very startled because he was an ex racehorse. He was quite highly strung. He'd run into a fence. He nearly lost his life. He was at the vet for 13 weeks. And it was at that point that all my family kind of rallied together. And I do tell a story that I had a great aunt. Um, she was 98 years old old and she used to keep her funeral money under her mattress in a sock and she gave, she went as soon as she knew there was even an inkling of a chance I was able to actually finally get somewhere that her horses especially could live on my terms under my protection she just said give this to Fiona and just make this happen so that's how the sanctuary came about it was really really tough challenge my mum was an absolute pivot in making it all happen and I do joke and I say you know at, at one point I think my mum had more mortgages running than Santander Bank she was literally paying the mortgage on my old house because I couldn't sell that when we bought the sanctuary Lo loads and loads of help from all my family and it's kind of grown organically and expanded um, I at that point I could then take the next step and I could rescue ex-farmed animals, animals out of the agricultural um, industry, which is very, very exploitative. Obviously, you can't put that, you can't put a cow or a pig at a farm and ask like a livery yard to, to care for it. And it's just grown and grown and grown over the years. I've moved to a bigger property now, um, which is the place I'm presently at. Um, I keep the animals in quite um, it's not a unique way, but it's a, it's, it's a much more natural way than a lot of people. I like, I've got a lot of cattle. They live in a large herd with people overseeing that herd. Um, it's, I, I try to keep, I like to encourage the natural instincts of animals. Um, so I like them to go out and graze. I like them to follow the sun. I like to mix the young with the old. So the horses, big and small, I've got everything from Persians to Shetlands that live together. And um, I like, I, I, I like to give them as much freedom as I possibly can. It is a big challenge, um, but you know, I've got people to help me. I'm very blessed, I'm very fortunate. Uh, my day starts very early in the morning. I start at 3.30 and I work through till probably nine or half past nine, 10 o'clock at night. I'm very lucky that I don't need an awful lot of sleep. And regarding dedication to be able to go out and there and do it, um, yeah, I mean, it's just easy because, because you know it, it's my vocation it's something that's always been in me every day I kind of wake up in the morning I don't always wake up and blast out of bed and think you know great it's raining it's snowing it's windy it's cold and I, you know I can go outside and work but I always kind of when I do wake up I kind of think of three things that I'm very very lucky that I'm able to do this that I can't believe that this dream has become a reality uh, this dream that I've harbored for for so many years it, it is actually happening my life is it is that dream and um yeah it's it's very very hard work I think the most tough thing about it is the worry uh, rather than the physical work it doesn't really get to be that much I can take any amount of that especially at the moment with the f current instability in the world you do worry how long you can keep it going financially to be honest with you um, but I rise to any challenge that's put to me and um, I love them I love them they're, they're my family but I don't just think about the animals here um, I, I see the whole planet as a big sanctuary, we should be treating it as a big communal sanctuary where all its inhabitants 
and it's um you know the ground that we live on the sky the, the whole environment should be protected because this is the only place we've all got so i tend to run the sanctuary as a little tiny um soundbite of how i would like to see the planet run everybody living in harmony working together for one uh, better world uh, and a better world for all not just for some or a few and that be non-human or human animals alike um it, it's tough i mean it is tough i mean obviously i i do get uh tired at times like everyone but um hey it's what i do it's what i'm blessed to be able to do well it is uh, an absolutely amazing um passion that you have and and that you have brought into this world and you know, I always say that if you want to change the world, change the world around you. You know, that's the yeah. easiest way to do it. And if we all did that, well, hey, yeah, <laughs> we'd I mean, be, be pretty quick. Yeah, be the change you want to be and be the change you want to see. You know, I mean, it is, it is literally like that. And, you know, for me, I would prefer it rather than being one person doing lots. I'd prefer lots of people doing a little to make it happen and I think that is kind of now what's happening more and more and more people are becoming involved in different aspects of things which will benefit the present and future generations so for instance plant-based living is becoming more accepted people are more mindful about the decision that they make and how it impacts others and the environment so it is people are becoming more and more environmentally aware and all that encompasses that so that that's great but somebody did ask me don't do you resent in some way or do you see it as a sacrifice the amount that you've kind of been driven to do over the years um no i don't because it's a simple equation i see all life as equal because at the end of the day no one ultimately owns anything you are custodians of whatever you have as long as you are on this planet so you don't even own your own life you your spirit i don't know but i see every every being as equal um so if one being that being my being can facilitate the the life and um the, you know kind of the forever home if you want on the sanctuary um of many lives then it's a no-brainer that you would do it because i'm only in my view as worthy as you know rosie the cow that actually is just looking in the window at me now or earning truth <laughs> but if i if i've got that ability through through fate or whatever that you know i'm in a position to help them um, then you're going to do it, surely. You're just going to say, hey, I'll take a rain check on, you know, going out. I'm, I'm not interested in going out. I'm not interested in going on a holiday. I'm not interested in... I've never even been out, really, for a meal, if you want the truth. I don't go do anything but what I do here and run. That's all I do. I'm <laughs> firefighting when I'm called to do it. Um, that's, you know, and that's cool. That's fine. It's not a sacrifice to me. I don't want anybody to put me on any pedestal. I don't want to to feel that I'm in any way different or um, more or less important than the next person, because I'm just not. Everybody everybody has a vacation. Everybody has a th thing probably that they can do in life. Some people are unfortunate enough that they never actually realise that. Or, or, But, you know, I think I'm lucky. And I also think that I'm lucky to have found uh, veganism, plant-based living as early as I did. But I'm very quick to not judge others who have not. 
uh, it's all about encouragement for me rather than judgment and um, wow. rating people. It's about encouraging other people because I feel that I'm, I'm lucky to have been on this road for as long as I have. But I don't see myself as some great plant-based vegan guru. I, I think, you know, I, I, I've made loads of mistakes. The, the one strength that I have is acknowledging that I've made loads of mistakes and learning from them. Um, and that's something that people don't necessarily always do. Um, I think the biggest weapon that humanity has, if they can kind of harness it, is humility. Um, you know, I, I got my feet on the ground. I don't like my head in the clouds. And a lot of people <laughs> are a little bit like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I just am who I am and I'm just doing my bit. As long as I'm here, I will continue to do that. Wow. Well, I I can't imagine a better message to end on. I, as our time comes to an end, I, uh, Fiona, uh, you know, it's more remarkable than your career as an endurance athlete is is your commitment to to this work, um, trying to help the planet, help these animals, and and be a a shining light for other folks to to learn from. Um, is there anything that you'd like to leave with our community as as uh, we come to an end? Any uh, aside from what you just did, which, like I say, is is about as good as I could ask for. Um, but anywhere that they can find you, if they want to learn more about how to uh, support your sanctuary or or learn more about your career. Yeah, I mean, they can contact me uh, directly. Uh, it's Oaks Fiona or on Instagram or Fiona Oaks or whatever. If you search Fiona Oaks, I'm not, I'm not a techno person. So, I, you know, I mean, I always, I, I'm sitting here at the computer. I don't have anybody doing all the computer work for me. So obviously you want to check out the, the sanctuary. It's Tower Hill Stables. Um, yeah, and I, 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 I hope I can help anyone, if I can help anybody with their running, if they're curious, if, if they just want to know, you know, sort of how to run a desert ultra, if they want to know how to run a sub 240 marathon that, you know, I'm perfectly willing to help, help in any way, shape or form that I can. I'm not after getting anything back from anyone. I really do genuinely just want to spread this message. And I've been given an opportunity, a lifespan to do it. And I don't know how long that's going to last. So I just want to make the most of it. But when um, I, I hope I can inspire other people or just not necessarily in oh darlings I want to inspire people just give them that extra bit of encouragement they need to take that step on whatever ladder it is to take this journey with, with me and it doesn't necessarily have to run a, a sanctuary or go and enter marathons but regarding inspiration um, what inspires me is every person out there that's doing their bit too and um, I'm just thankful that there are other you know meat free um athletes out there that other meat free people you know just doing their bit for the animals that's the greatest inspiration because together i believe that we can make a change and for me it's it i have to say although it is about personal health it is about that you know health and well-being of other people fairer distribution of wealth around the planet uh, the environment the future it ultimately for me and everybody's different it is always about the animals and the cruelty and the suffering that they go through on a daily basis they aren't voiceless victims they do have a voice but very many humans choose to stifle that voice and, and ignore it and it's just if any one thing that i can say or do in my life helps another being on this planet then that's that's great for me so if anybody wants to find out more or just chat or or i can help them in any way just get in touch more than happy more than happy well 
Thank you so much for that. I have no doubt that that folks will and and we'll do our best to to make it easy for them to get in touch. And Fiona, thank you so much for for sharing your your beautiful story with us. Thank you for all the work you do for the animals and for being that incredible example of what uh, a human can accomplish physically uh, while while obviously um, living on a uh, fully plant-based diet and and uh, not uh, abusing any animals to fuel that performance. So it really is wonderful to connect with you. Thank you so much for, for spending some of your afternoon. Thank you for having me and thank you for listening, everyone. Thank you.